Welcome to the Pitbull Patty Show. I'm your host, Patty Stuckler. We're keeping it real here with straight talk and sharing true stories that will inspire you to change your life. Are you ready for this? Because here we go. I have a really special guest today. He has such an amazing spirit and a love of music that he wants to share with the world. He's a talented musician and a songwriter. He's a speaker and author and been interviewed on over 80 radio stations across the country promoting the value of music in therapy and in one's overall happiness. His book, 88 Plus Ways Music Can Change Your Life, features over 100 inspirational music-related stories from around the world and includes many celebrity stories. He's the co-founder of the nonprofit organization Keep Music Alive that helps bring music to school-age children. It's my honor and privilege to introduce Vincent James. How are you, Vincent? Very good, Patty. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Yeah, so happy to have you on here. I'm so excited about this topic. I'm really curious on a couple of things I want to ask you about. But before I get into kind of the the music and what you do with your organization, I I was looking at, you know, just some of your social media and I know you're from Philly. So I was thinking about Philadelphia and thinking about kind of like it looks like you're you've you did you you grew up in Philly, right? I grew up in the suburb of Philly, yes. I, I actually grew up Zero feet from where I'm at. We living in the house I grew up in. Oh wow! Oh, that's cool. Well, I think about Philadelphia, and I think about a couple things. Okay, cheesesteaks, of course. Everybody thinks about cheesesteaks. Jason Worth, who, of course, the Nationals. We got Jason Worth from the Phillies. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, he's one of my favorite players. I know he's he's been around a while, so he's not one of the young bucks. But I just I love Jason Worth, so I'm very happy to have him from the Phillies. But I also think about the Philadelphia has, the Phillies fans, oh my God, have such a horrible reputation. I hate to say it, but you know what I'm going to say, because I know you've heard this. You have to have. If you're from Philly, you've got to have heard this before. But I know there's this story, a true story, about the Phillies fans. That, well, I should say Eagles, the Eagles fans. The Eagles were playing Vikings in 1968, and the fans were so terrible that they literally pelted Santa Claus at halftime with snowballs. And you know that's a true story. I was I had to familiarize myself again with it because I'd heard it before and thought, wow, how do you, I mean, really, the Phillies fans really do have quite the reputation. I mean, who who does that to Santa Claus? Well, I would I would like to think that we have we've come a little bit further since then, and maybe you know a little more civilized. Uh, I hope. <laughs> yeah, it's all on your shoulders. I just want to tell you that, Vincent. You. It's up to uh, you to <laughs> to redeem. Me down, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally up to you to redeem the reputation of the Phillies. <laughs> I'm gonna get right on that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you have your work cut out for you. I think. I do. I do. <laughs> Okay. Well, I want to ask you before I really start asking you about your organization, what is, if you, if you are on an island and for the rest of your life, a deserted island, and you could hear one, one musician, one artist, one band, you know, what, what would that be? All right. All right. I would say I would like to have every record that Phil Collins ever played on. That includes all the old Genesis, newer Genesis, all the solo records, the, the movie soundtracks he did. Everything. I think that would hold me over for a couple of weeks and then the rest of forever. <laughs> and then it'll be like, I think in North Korea, they like, isn't it North Korea or somewhere that they play like rock music? I mean, like hard rock music <laughs> to like prisoners. Have you ever heard that before? 
I've heard stories of different countries using music as somewhat of a weapon, yes. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But Phil Collins, that'd be a good one. Well, how did you how did you get started in music? What's where did your love of music start? Uh, let's see, way back in elementary school. I can't remember when I first actually started liking music. I guess I can't remember ever not liking music. But in the fourth grade we had the choice to in school where we could learn to play an instrument. So I came home one day and asked my parents, you know, hey, I'd really love to play the guitar. And they're like, mm, no. <laughs> so I came back the next day, hey, I'd, you know, what about the drums? I'd love to play the drums. And they said, no, even louder. So third time's a charm, I came back and said, how about the trombone? And they're like, sold. So I played trombone in all the different, you know, concert band, marching band, jazz band, all through high school. So that was one thing that was constant through my schooling years. And then probably around the sixth grade, my mom had always wanted to play the piano, uh, but she had never had the opportunity. So she talked my dad into getting a piano. So they brought a piano into the house so she could take lessons. And I was drawn to that piano like, you know, a honey, a bead of honey. I'm just like, just started messing around on the keys and like, you know, when can I start taking lessons? <laughs> so I started probably for about three, four years, I took a classical piano you know, playing Mozart, Beethoven, Chopin, all those different uh, great classical artists. But then probably around the seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, I kind of got hooked on pop music. You know, the radio kind of drew me in to, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, believe it or not, back then I was into Led Zeppelin, Kiss and hard stuff. But even on the other side, I was also into John Denver, the Carpenters and Bread. So I just kind of like, you know, for different moods, different feelings, I was really into all different styles of music. Uh, and that's when I started, you know, playing guitar actually on my own and took a few lessons and, you know, playing in bands and starting to write songs and, and just have never really stopped since then. That's so great. When I think about it, I mean, I, I, I actually grew up on Led Zeppelin. In fact, in my bedroom, I had this huge Led Zeppelin. It wasn't a poster. It was actually like a uh, cloth poster. It was huge. And it was, you know, from one of the albums, Led Zeppelin albums. I, I, I love Led Zeppelin. ACDC, seen, I've, I've seen them. In fact, I saw them with, with Angus Young playing not too long ago, a few months ago, and I've seen lots of ACDC cover bands. Love, I love hard rock, but I also love Bread, Guess Who, oh my gosh, yeah, a lot, Elton John, all those. And don't you think it's interesting you kind of know how old somebody is by, like, their music? <laughs> <laughs> right? It pretty much narrows it down, you know, that you're talking about. <laughs> uh, definitely. Although I love Maroon 5, I love a lot of that. Like, I love dance music. I love anything I can dance to. So I actually like a lot of music now, you know. So I like a lot of things. The only thing I really haven't gotten into is country too much, but or classical. Right, right, right. Yeah, I love all most most styles of music as well i mean i haven't listened to much country but sometimes like if i'm on the road you know traveling to florida or to nashville you know you're going jumping from city to city and you're just hitting scan on the stations and by doing that you know you start to discover some pretty good country songs you're like wow i kind of like that whereas before i never would have thought thought about it yeah like well I, I really like shania twain i mean there is some country definitely i like and in fact i just recently went to a country bar with a couple of friends that was not my choice <laughs> oh, come on we all know that you're the one that took them there <laughs> yeah i wanted to go to the bar but i didn't want to go to the country bar i was like no let's go somewhere we can dance and you know have some have a good time it was a, a whole group of women and anyway we went to this country bar and i was surprised how many songs i actually knew 
You know, so there's obviously a lot of crossover. Yeah, yeah. Some of the really great country songs have crossed over to the pop where you and I would have heard them on other stations. Yeah, definitely. So is that so so obviously if you grew up playing a lot of classical, it sounds like, was especially in the piano, then then how did that switch over? Did you, you know, switch over at some point to just a lot of different genres or yeah i think uh when i was probably about 13 14 is when i started listening to more to the radio and wanting to play you know pop songs i think probably the classical training probably is what helped me really appreciate uh groups like genesis kansas where there was a lot of more intricate musicianship going on there than their typical three four chord you know there's a lot of stuff going on in those songs probably my classical training really helped me lended me to appreciate that more yeah, it's interesting because I used to work at the Capitol Center. I don't know if you're familiar with with what the Capitol Center was, but it was a, you know, you could go watch concerts. It, it since has been torn down. But when I was uh, like right out of high school, I worked there and I sold tickets. So I used to go see a lot of concerts like Prince and Madonna. And yeah, it was really cool. And Rush and Black Sabbath, you name it, in the 80s. So it was very cool to go, you know, like after I'd get done selling the tickets, I would go down and we could watch like the second half basically of most most concerts i always like the show like rush i i'm sure I, i'm well i'm guessing that you probably would appreciate rush you know with just the three musicians and oh, they're absolutely they're phenomenal but i always like the theatrics of the show you know like i, I watched uh, i saw prince with purple rain that that album and he had literally the bathtub and this like but what looked like electric lights coming down, you know, the bathtub. And he was, I mean, he was just all over the place on top of his piano. He was, uh, he, he was such a stage presence. And same thing, of course, with Madonna. So, I mean, I guess there's kind of that fine, uh, I like both. I, I want to hear great musicians, but at the same time, I want to show. Sure, absolutely. The show just adds to the music and makes it more of an experience. I can remember, I didn't go to a lot of concerts early on, but I remember I saw Queen you know, back in the early days, it was probably around 77, 1977. And this is before the album that had We Will Rock You hit the radio. And they had the whole crown thing where the crown came down and all that, which was really cool. But then they started the show, you know, you hear this boom, boom, cha, boom, boom, cha. And the whole stadium is shaking. And you're like, what the heck is that? Because it hadn't been on the radio yet. And you had no idea. And then they go into it. It was just, to me, that made a really huge impression because I'll never forget it. You know, just the feeling of the whole stadium, the whole arena shaking to that and not knowing what it was. And and then realizing later, you know, oh, wow, that's on their new album coming out. Wow, that is so cool. In fact, Freddie Mercury, right? I mean, that's what a performer and, and what a what a singer, what a range he had. God, he could sing. And, and you know, it makes me think when you're talking about that, that kind of electricity, I think Journey had that always had that same kind of, I mean, people still to this day, you can go hear Journey songs at the end of, you know, whatever it is you can hear. And then people start belting it out. You know, they just, you know, it's a band that kind of resonates with, with people. The songs and Steve Perry's voice are iconic. Yeah. So cool. And of course they have the guy from the Philippines. Now I don't know his name, but, but he, he sure does a great, great job. Yeah, he does a great job of uh, of covering the songs, you know, which is very difficult. I can't sing those songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. No sure you can. <laughs> you can try. Like yeah, the rest I can of us, try, right? but you wouldn't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I know you gave a TED TEDx talk, and I'm so curious to ask you about that because I know it was titled Three Trends That Are Killing the Future of Music." Can you can you share with us a little about that? Oh, sure, absolutely. So, you know, probably a few years ago, about three four years ago, before we started our whole Keep Music Alive mission that we do, what I started to notice was three things going on. First was, you know, the music and arts education cuts that are happening in many areas of the country. You know, I understand budgets constrict and things have to be cut. Unfortunately, music and arts are often, you know, in the crossfires. And, you know, what they're learning from research is just how important music education really is for kids and how it parlays them into being successful and all the other subjects that the schools are trying to, you know, excel in. So that was one of the items of the three trends. Another one was, you know, the whole technology thing with streaming. I mean, when, when we grew up, if we wanted to hear a song that we liked over and over again, well, what did we do? We had to go to the store. We had to buy the, the 45 or the cassette and bring it home. And, you know, and then we could play it over and over and over and over and over again. But we had to part with something of value to do that, whether it was, you know, babysitting money, grass cutting money, allowance money, whatever it was. But kids today, including my own, you know, they just sit there on Spotify, YouTube or whatever and just play the same. You know, they can play any song they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, as much as they want. And they're not parting with anything of any value. So the value of music I see is going down because I don't see kids growing up today really appreciating the value of what went into that music. They enjoy it, sure, but they didn't have to part with anything of value to enjoy it the way they do today. So that was the second one. And the third one had to do with live music. I mean, there are a lot of places you can hear live music, but I feel that there were a lot of places that used to always have live music. You know, used to go to hotels, you know, in the bars and the lounges, there was always live music. And I just think a lot of that has gone by the wayside where they're moving more towards, you know, whether it's a DJ or whether it's just pre-recorded music because they don't want to part with the funds for live music. And there's really no, as you know yourself, there's no comparison to listening to someone in front of you playing an instrument live and getting that energy that vibe off of them versus just hearing it you know out of a speaker <laughs> it's just not it's just not the same so those are three trends that were part of the TEDx that I did that I just wanted to try to illuminate a little bit out there into the world and let people know well, that, that makes a lot of sense. I know it is. It's interesting when my kids were in high school, I can remember they, I was very surprised that they actually, during like basketball games, they literally had this little group of kids, like maybe, I don't know, four or five kids. And they would set up a band of their own, like a little, you know, like a little rock band at, at halftime and they would play like, you know, and they would play queen and stuff like that. They were really talented. And I just thought that was so cool that the school yeah, I know that the school allowed them to do that instead of saying, oh, some liability issue or whatever reason that the schools never let people do things. But I just thought that was so cool that they, you know, so, you know, if they had more of that in every school, just, you know, just giving a, a, a forum for them, for the kids. Yeah, that's tremendous. I mean, that's, you know, just being creative. Other ways, you know, schools can have music as part of school and, and extracurricular activities, you know, not always having to do the same thing that, you know, they've always done. That, that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought about that until just now. I mean, I thought about it at the time that how cool that, that was. In fact, they, they would play, you know, we, you know, we are the champion, you know, they would, they would play all that kind of stuff. It was very appropriate for basketball games and, you know, sports competition and stuff like that. 
I remember thinking about it at the time, but now that you're talking about it, about the schools cutting music and really you don't see the live music as much, that'd be a cool way for, you know, people to showcase their talents. Yeah, you're giving me some ideas, you know, because I mean, whenever we hear ideas like this, it's ideas that we can help spread and share in other places to give people, you know, ideas so they can maybe do it in their area. Because collectively around the world, we all have different and great ideas. And you know, if we share those ideas, you know, we can learn and all benefit. Yeah, well, that that was Huntingtown High School in Huntingtown, Maryland. I don't know if they still are doing it because my kids are out of out of high school now, but but they certainly were back then. You know, uh, not not that many years ago. So hopefully they're still doing it. So it's a cool cool thing to do. But well, tell me about your organization and and tell us about your organization and what what made you prompt it. What what all do you do exactly with Keep Music Alive? Well, I think what really prompted it was, you know, there's three things from the TEDx, you know, before I even did the TEDx, those are the three things that kind of were circling in my mind. So my wife, Joanne, and I founded the organization Keep Music Alive about three years ago. What we've done is we have launched two music holidays. One is Teach Music America Week, which is now becoming International Teach Music Week, where we encourage musicians and music schools everywhere to offer one free lesson to new students, kids or adults, with the idea of just trying to break the ice. If there's someone that's always really wanted to play an instrument, but just never kind of, you know, got the gumption to start or had someone offer or didn't have the money for a first lesson or whatever, just, just, just get them started. And then maybe, you know, many of those people that start with that first lesson will continue on learning music, either whether it's from that same teacher or someone else. And the reason we do all this is because of the many benefits that music offers, you know, the health benefits, the social benefits, the educational benefits. So if we can get more people and kids and adults playing music, we feel that's a good thing. And then the other music holiday is Kids Music Day, and that one is in October. And that's where we, again, we partner with music schools and retail locations all around the country and starting, you know, a few countries outside the U.S. as well to hold different events and promotions basically celebrating you know exactly what those kids are doing in the high school gym kids playing music you know whether it's in public whether it's community as part of a rock school in their public school wherever it is just different activities that encourage and celebrate the fact that kids are playing music yeah my niece is playing the ukulele which is kind of an interesting <laughs> instrument in fact at, th- at thanksgiving it's becoming very popular is yes. it really because i noticed now that you were just talking about that at thanksgiving she brought her she's like 14 well no yeah she's 14 she'll be turning 15 this month she has this ukulele and she at thanksgiving when there was a whole bunch of family i mean a lot of family members and she played she played and sang a song for us and it was so cool and i just that was such a neat thing and I just love when kids are performing, you know, really for their family, you know, parents and so forth. Right. Yeah. No, we, we absolutely love that to see our kids and, and relatives, you know, playing, playing music. And the ukulele is a wonderful instrument that you can learn it pretty easily. It's very portable. Obviously, it's so small and you can take it around and play and sing. It's very easy to learn, you know, popular songs or make up songs to sing. Oh, really? Is that why you think it's, uh, or is it just because some of the musicians are, are playing it? It's making it trending? Well, I think that's, I think it's both. The fact that they're seeing more people using it, some of the famous musicians using, and then they're also, you know, it's not expensive to purchase. It's easy to learn how to play. And it's so small and portable, you can take it anywhere and you can sing with it. And, and it projects really well, you know, for such a small instrument, it actually makes a pretty big sound. 
Yeah, it's very cool. In fact, you know, when I was growing up, my mom played the piano and then I took lessons as a kid, although I was never good at it. And I took flute lessons too, and I'm no flutist. <laughs> but my mom used to, she had one of those player pianos and then, but it didn't, the playing part didn't work, but she could play herself. But it was one of those ones that the, the upright, you know, ones that are, they were, it was an old piano, but she used to play really well. And she used to, I can remember at Christmas times, you know, she would, at Christmas time, she would sing in holidays. She would sing and we would gather around, you know, like it's just kind of a magical, I mean, I'm telling you my music story, I guess, <laughs> when I think about a fond memory of how music has has touched my life, because I know, and I want to ask you about your, your book, and I know I think you're writing another one too. I can tell you that that is a, such a fond memory when I think about my mother playing and singing, and then, you know, a couple of my siblings and I would be hovering around the piano and singing with her, Let It Snow, you know, th- songs like that. And, and, you know, not too long ago, that was more common. I mean, back in the day before TV, before radio, many houses had a piano and that was where music was generated in the house. In fact, the sheet music salesman would go door to door, town to town, selling sheet music because that's how you got new songs to play was from the salesman coming to the door. But back in that day, you know, so many families would celebrate music, you know, whether it was for the holidays or other special gatherings by, you know, someone in the family sitting there and playing and, you know, singing and the people around them singing. And it was a family activity doing something together. Imagine that, right? In today's world with the cell phones and, you know, the Internet, it's just and I think we we really lost a lot of that. I love hearing that that you had that experience. Yeah, and and we actually did have a TV. <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> we did, it only had three channels. I think. <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean. In fact, as you think about the Victorian times, oh yeah, absolutely. And and you know earlier where people did you know played a lot more. And then you think about bluegrass and a lot of people just hanging out on the porch playing music, not just even you know hanging around a piano, but. It is special, and you're right. It's it's so sad that that we've kind of lost a lot of that. I think, you know. But it's so cool with your book. Tell me about your book, as far as you know, some of the stories that you have in there. Can you share share a story or two from your book? Sure, sure, absolutely. So we have a book that we a book series that we started a couple of years ago, and we are working on the second book. And the book is uh, 88 plus ways music can change your life. And there's, you know, inspirational music stories from all around the world, including a number of celebrities. I'll start with a story by a very famous drummer. His name is Simon Kirk, who was the drummer for Bad Company, still is, and they Mm -hmm. tour, and the band Free before that. And so Simon was doing a drum clinic over in the UK several years back, and he's up on stage, and he's in kind of like a big auditorium, and the lights are down, so... He's up on stage. All the lights are on him, but it's dark out there. So he can't really see who's out there in the, in the auditorium. And he's starting to play different drums and showing different techniques. And as he's doing it, he's starting to hear this clicking sound coming from somewhere. And he's not sure, is it coming from the left, from the right, out in the audience? He really can't tell. But, you know, he's a professional. He doesn't say anything about it. He just continues on with his, you know, playing different demonstrations that he's doing. And as he continues, again, the clicking keeps coming and going. And after a while, you know, he's starting to actually get a little bit annoyed. Like, you know, here I am up here doing this demonstration. I think it was probably like a free thing he was doing, you know, charity work. And, you know, who's making that blasted noise? (laughs) You know, it's kind of like distracting, especially to a drummer. You know, you hear this rhythmic thing going on and you're trying to do a rhythm thing. And, you know, it throws me the heck off. (laughs) 
But, you know, he didn't say anything. He just kept doing just different demonstrations, pulling out different drums, different percussion instruments. And then finally at the end, you know, the, the lights, the house lights go up. And for the very first time, he can see in the back of the room, there's a row of wheelchairs. And in the wheelchairs are a bunch of kids that are holding drumsticks, kids with muscular dystrophy that have been playing with him the whole time. His heart just about dropped out. You know, he, he rushed back to the back of the auditorium. He knelt down and he held each one of those hands, shook in their, shaking their hands and thanked them for playing along with him. And I think, you know, he was a changed man <laughs> after that experience. You just never really know what's going on and why and, and how. But just to show how much that music, you know, him being there doing that for them and them being able to play along, that's part of their therapy to be able to hold drumsticks and to play along with music. Wow. That is so cool. That is just amazing. Yeah, I, I tear up every time I hear that story and tell that story. <laughs> yeah, that is so special. I, I really, that what a neat experience. Well, so you have a lot of stories like that in the book? There are stories that will make you laugh, stories that will make you really think. And there are stories like that that will make you, you know, go hunt for the Kleenex box. Just a lot of different experiences. Most of them are from musicians, but there are some that are from people that aren't musicians, have never played an instrument, but they had a particular experience in life that really affected them that had to do with music that they wanted to share. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I think for everybody, you hear a song, especially, you know, a song that means something to you. And all of a sudden it brings you back, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, to a, a moment in time or to a person. And you, it's like you get to relive it. Music is a magical time machine. It really is very special, creates a lot of emotion. Yes. Every birthday of my son and my daughter, I always send them on their birthdays. I, one of my favorite songs is by the Carpenters, Close to You. And I, and I send that to them now now electronically, <laughs> you know, by text. I'll send them <laughs> the YouTube version where they're in this 1970s clothes, you know, the Carpenters. <laughs> But, you know, it talks about on the day that you were born, you know, how the lyrics go. So I, I send that to them every every birthday. <laughs> and now your wife, I know, Joanne, she's the co-founder with you, with the organization? Yeah, co-founder, co-author, and, you know, not, almost none of this would have happened without her help. You know, it's really a team effort because it's been a lot of work. For the first book, we actually reached out to over 6,000 musicians around the world to get all the stories that we got. It was definitely, a, you know, a large undertaking. And now you're getting ready to write a second or you are in the process? Yeah, we're in the process of putting together a second book. So we're looking for, you know, inspirational music stories and quotes. You know, if any of your listeners, you know, would like to submit a story for possible inclusion, we would love to hear from them. Okay, awesome. Well, I've, before I've got a couple more questions I want to ask you and then I'll, and then I want to make sure I have the information that you can give to where people can find you and reach you. But I always like to to ask, what's what's the best advice anybody's ever given you, Vincent? Hmm. The best advice that anyone's ever given me. Hmm. <laughs> you got me thinking. <laughs> Whatever it was, I probably didn't follow it. That's the problem. <laughs> We've all gotten a lot of advice and I didn't always follow it. You know, probably, you know, I could think of a couple things, you know. One is to not, you know, worry so much about money and material things, you know. It's just it's really the experiences you go through life and the relationships. Uh, that are most important. And I think, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, I appreciate and engage with that advice more and more <laughs> than I did perhaps when I was younger. So definitely the relationships and, and, you know, appreciating the experiences you have in life. It's the journey that we're on all together, 
not the destination. You know, the destination can be whatever it can be. It's a moving target. So enjoy every day that you have, you know, enjoy your family, enjoy, you know, take time to smell the roses, so to speak, you know, listen to music, enjoy friends, enjoy nature. You know, it's going to really help you be a happier and healthier person. I think that's uh, that's great advice. I think it's so true that you have to have a destination. You have to have a plan in order to get there, to get wherever it is you're trying to go. But at the same time, you do have to understand that the journey is 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 just as important as, as the finish line, really, how you live it, especially. And hopefully you're having some fun. Sounds like you are. If you're not having fun, then why in the heck are you doing it? Well, sometimes, I don't know. I meet a few few people sometimes that don't look like they have enough fun in their life, so... Well, you know, I, I've been in that, you know, situation, so I appreciate it. Sometimes it just takes us a little while to, you know, shake out of it. Yeah. I mean, no matter what's going on in your life, you can find some humor and giggle at, giggle at something, right? <laughs> Put a little giggle in your life. <laughs> well, what is, what is, can you share a personal habit that you do every day that kind of contributes to your success that you'd like to share? Sure. I make a list every day typically the night before of, you know, what I want to accomplish the next day, speaking of a plan, try to plan, you know, just in a little bullet list of items I want to knock off. I may not get to everyone, but by having that, I have something, number one, I don't forget, you know, sometimes we get to the end of the day and like, oh, you know, crap, the one thing I really wanted to get done, I totally forgot about it. But if I had it on the list, at least, you know, if I refer back to the list, you know, a couple times a day, I won't miss that one or two things that I really wanted to get done. Instead, I'm doing the three other things that really weren't as important. <laughs> but you know, it's low-hanging fruit. You know, they, they tell you in the morning you should work on the most important thing on your list, you know, the one that you really need to get done. You know, the, the other stuff, the easy stuff, you know, you, you'll get to that. But don't, you know, don't put off the thing that you're really trying to get done. Yeah, I think that's really, really solid advice because if you just make a list and you don't prioritize, uh, I, I use the star system. Like if it's something that has three stars, I got to start with that, then two stars, then one star, and then no stars. Uh, then the no stars never seem to get done. <laughs> I mean, well, they just kind of keep getting put on the list somewhere down there, but it just <laughs> never tends to happen. I saw an interesting quote from Steve Jobs. It was probably from 20 years ago when he went back, when he came back to Apple. And people asked him, well, what was the big change that he did? So he said, well, when he came back to Apple, there were actually about 400 products under development. And he took that list of 400 products and he cut it down to four. He said, if we can do these four things, great. And one of them was the iMac, then we'll be successful. So focus on less things, but more time and more focus on less things and make them successful. Then you'll get to do some of the other things, you know, that, that you have, you know, down low or the one and two stars. Even maybe the no stars. <laughs> well, that's great advice. <laughs> All right. My last question for you is, besides how do we find you, is I like to ask people if they read a lot or they don't read a lot, is there a book that you would recommend besides your book? Because I want people to check your book out. Absolutely. And can they buy it on Amazon, The 88 Plus Ways, Music Can Change Your Life? Yes, it's available on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble uh, website, Books A Million as well. Do you have another book that you would uh, recommend that is one of your favorites? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's one that my kids refer to as my Bible. And they're, and the author of the book is my, you know, I'm putting up in quotes, my savior, my Jesus, because of so many times I quote the book and they're like, dad, is that, is that from that book again? 
And uh, you're probably familiar with the book. It's uh, written by none other than Jack Canfield. And the book is The Success Principles. You know, he has like, I think, 64 different principles or so in there. And, you know, you read through that book, you know, there's a lot of great anecdotes, stories that relate and make the principles come to life and really appreciate where they're coming from. And you'll go through it and you'll be like, you know, I know when I started going through it the first time, I'm like, I'm like, you know, well, this one's really good. And, you know, back when I was actually having some success at something, it's because I was doing this one and now I'm not. <laughs> so it really helps you just so many different things, aspects of your life, you know, whether it's your career, your family, relationships, money, charitable things. It just really helps put so many things in perspective and will help guide you to be successful and happy in whatever you want to do. And so to me, that is kind of like my life Bible, not my religious Bible, but my, my life Bible and how to try to be successful and happy in life. Well, I, I couldn't think of a, a better book myself. That's a terrific book. To Everybody should read that book. The Success Principles by Jack Canfield is is just awesome. It really, I, I know I know a lot of realtors that we've done mastermind groups among, you know, whole groups of realtors that do it as a mastermind a group together and, and go over that whole book. So it's just really something everybody could read. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It really helps, you know, individuals and groups be more successful. Well, how can, tell us how everybody can find you, find all your social media and your book and so forth. Website? Well, to find out about the Keep Music Alive, which is now a 501c3 nonprofit, we just finally got confirmed for that. They can reach us there at keepmusicalive.org.org. And then for the book, they can find that at 88waysmusic.com. So the number 88 and then waysmusic.com. And of course, it's available on, you know, Amazon and, and the other websites. Yeah, 88 plus ways music can change your life. Well, that's, I, you know, I just want to thank you so much, Vincent, for for being interviewed, for coming on my show and, and sharing so much with all of us. And, and I just want to commend what you're doing. You have such a quiet joy about you and I, it must be music. I don't know if that's why, but you certainly, I love that you're spreading that message and, and anything that, you know, that I can ever do to help, let me know. I just, but I really do appreciate all the work that you're doing and the fact that you came on today. Oh, thank you so much, Patty, for you know allowing us to share our message, you know, with your listeners. We really appreciate it and, and love what you're doing and you know reaching out and putting so many positive messages out into the world. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. 